In the frontier days of America, there lived a family back out in the backwoods by themselves. And while they were living back out there by themselves and uh, in this remote area, still a school was open a little distance away, but the father thought that it would be a good thing for his son to go to school. He thought for two reasons. First was the obvious one of the education, and the second one was that because it would take a little distance for him to travel, and he thought that it would be good for him to learn to travel on his own and negotiate through all the things that a wilderness might present to them. And so the son left uh, to go to, to school, and uh, the first day and the first couple of days and then the first, even the first couple of weeks, he was pretty nervous about the situation as he contemplated all the possibilities that might be lurking there in the woods. As he thought about the bear and he thought about the Indians and he thought about how they might present themselves to him upon one of those trips. But none of that happened to him. And so he'd grown quite comfortable with his trips back and forth until one day on his way home from school, one of his worst fears did materialize. As a big bear jumped out of the woods, and as he stood there and he looked at the bear, he didn't do anything. He looked at the bear and he, and he didn't know what to do. He was frightened. And then all of a sudden there come a shot that rang out and the bear dropped. And as the boy then looked around, he saw his father step out from some bushes. And his father said to, said to him, you know Every day, going to school and coming back from school, I have been there, and I have been hiding there watching you as you travel back and forth. I've kept myself hidden in the shadows all the time, but I wanted you to learn to be brave. You know, there are times in each one of our lives in which danger stares us in the face. And we stand there and we stare at it and we're not sure as exact, uh, exactly how it is that we are supposed, supposed to react to it and what is the best thing for us to do. Here in this passage that we're looking at this morning in Acts, the 18th chapter and the first 10 verses, we find the Apostle Paul. We don't normally think of the Apostle Paul as someone who who was frightened, who doesn't know what to do, who uh, it seemed like he always knew what to do. and seemed like he was willing to stand up to any test, but that's not what we find here in these verses this morning. It said, after these things he left Athens and he went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pointus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working for, by trade, they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, 
solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. Then he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God whose house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And so from this verse here, actually verse 9, we see this that gives us a clue as to what Paul's feelings were there at Corinth. When in the vision it was said to him, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Corinth is a rather interesting metropolis that we're looking at here this morning. Corinth, in this whole Roman Empire here, we see that Corinth is located right here in Greece. What makes Corinth uh, such an interesting place at this time is because of an advantage that it had. You see, right here at Corinth, there was this small, small isthmus right here. The waters down here around Corinth here were very treacherous, or down around Greece right here, were very treacherous. Many ships and shiploads of cargo and people are lost there. And so very early on, the people going back and forth in the empire then decided that it was save them time and people and commerce. If they stopped right here, they would unload their ships. They would put the, the ship then up on a, a platform that would carry it across to the other side where they would reload the ship and get on uh, with their trip. But in the meantime, of course, here was Corinth collecting all these people from various parts of the empire. Here was a canal that was uh, uh, proposed to be built and a, a little attempt was made during this time. They always thought it would be good to have a canal. It didn't happen for a long time. Over here was the city of Corinth and the Acre of Corinth, uh, where the, which was the highest spot uh, in the area. But down here is the place where Paul did his ministry. But over here is where they tried to ship, uh, take the ships back and forth. That canal eventually got built only just uh, about a hundred years ago or so this canal was actually built and this is the canal there at Corinth it's built for the same reasons today that, it, that they proposed to have one back during the time of Paul. This would be the way that, that Corinth would have looked during, uh, during Paul's time uh, the agora, the marketplace uh, there is a, a Greek word that tells us about uh, being uh, bought in Christ and that, that and the freedom that we have in Christ that tells us that we have been bought out of the Agora place. This is where they would sell slaves from the empire. But here is something else right here. The famous Bema seat. It is the Apostle Paul tells us, of course, that we all must stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He uses the word Bema there. He says we all must stand before the Bema seat of Christ. He tells us that in Corinthians. I wonder what he had in mind. 
Well, of course, he, he had this which he was seeing. And he was traveling up and down this road all the time, coming in and out, and spending time here in the marketplace and here at the Bema Seat. Over in this section, there was where, where their, their athletic fields were and where the competition was held uh, here at Corinth. Here is that Bema Seat today, and you can see right down here in English, it, it puts their, actually it's the Greek transliteration of it, uh, Bema for us, uh, there at Corinth. And here's a group of world travelers standing before that, that Bema seat. You can see that plaque is right here, and they're all standing there before that judgment seat. This was where things were awarded. Crowns were awarded, actually. It was all that was given. But crowns were awarded in relationship to the athletic contest that went on. And so they had to stand before the Bema seat to receive their reward. And so we stood there at the Bema seat that Paul had in, in his mind that time. Here is that road that he would have traveled down, up and down all the time. This is the, the exact road that was in, there at the time of the Apostle Paul. The theory is, of course, if you walk back and forth on this road, that somewhere along all that you will step in the actual steps that the Apostle Paul stepped in. And so uh, that's one of the things that some people try to do if they have a lot of energy is to walk back and forth and, and step on all those. Uh, but this is the way the ruins look today there in Corinth. But Corinth was a city of about 200,000 people at this time. It was a marvelous place as far as activity was concerned because it had all these people from all, the Roman, all over the Roman Empire who were coming through Corinth. And of course then when they came they brought with them their religious backgrounds and their traditions as, long as, as, their, as well as their cargoes that they brought. All this was introduced at Corinth. And Corinth had such a name about itself and about the low life that was at Corinth uh, that they would use the phrase uh, to, to put somebody down in the, in the Roman Empire to say he's, he's playing the Corinthian. Uh, and they liked to engage in many athletic contests. These were their, some of the ones that they enjoyed the most was boxing and uh, the, the foot races and the discus throwing. All these would have been, been held on a regular basis outside there on their athletic field. But it was also here that Venus was the goddess of worship. It was here that she had that, that at her temple that they had many sacred prostitutes. And so all these sailors who were coming back and forth through here could, could find these sacred prostitutes of Venus that would be present. But what do we do then, as the Apostle Paul stood here, and he saw that he was presented with this door of opportunity. But we're not sure when we're presented with a door of opportunity or an open door, whether it's a door of opportunity or not. Just because the door is open does not necessarily mean that we want to go through it or that it would be good for us to go through it. The Apostle Paul was faced with that as he looked around Corinth and he saw all this blending of all these religious backgrounds as he met with the resistance that, he was, that he's having, that the resistance appears to be very intense as we, we uh, uh, determine from some of the other passages of Scripture, that he perhaps then wondered if Corinth was the place that he should be. Or maybe he needed to move on to another place in the empire where they would be 
more responsive uh, to the gospel. Some of us have this lioness attitude about problems in life. He says, I don't like to face problems head on. I think the best way to solve problems is to avoid them. This is a distinct philosophy of mine. No problem is so big or so complicated that it can't be run away, away from. And I think some of us look at problems in that way. That there's, in fact, there's, I think there's a lot of that happening today that we're very few people who work through problems or want problems uh, solved. Uh, that they hope by ignoring them that that will take care of it. And there's a whole host of illustrations in our society to, to suggest that no one wants to stay with something long enough to work it out to its end, that the, the best thing is to terminate a problem early uh, and, and uh, not to this best conclusion, but to its quickest conclusion, or sometimes uh, just to ignore it, hoping that it will go away. We are a society wrought with many fears, and, um, and uh, we've started naming all the fears, and here we have a few of them, and you might recognize a few of them, and, and um, the, they're there, you know, claustrophobia, of course, they're afraid of being closed in, in narrow spaces. Uh, that's one of mine, and that's one of them I had to deal with in, uh, during that course of that trip about a year ago that we took. Um, the second one, um, Hypengyophobia uh, is afraid of responsibility. Um, uh, Ialurophobia is afraid of cats. Uh, it's one thing to be afraid of them, another thing just not to like them. I don't know what one that one be, but uh, uh, climacophobia, uh, actually that's a, just being just afraid of staircases. Um, Thalassophobia, uh, which is afraid of oceans. And uh, then the one down there at the, the bottom, panophobia, is just a fear of everything. So, but uh, we have, uh, of course, a whole listing of uh, fears, and, and people have all sorts of fears, and we could go on. But, and, and, and the thing is that we all have fears. We just have different ones. And some people may, uh, we may admire them because we think that they're fearless, but they're not truly fearless. Um, you know, they'll, they, they might uh, take on a, a street gang, but jump at a, a mouse that runs across the floor. We all have fears. And, but fear is not a bad thing. Fear tells us something. And so uh, there, are, there are times we need to learn how to control and and. and and redirect our fears, but fear in itself is not necessarily a bad thing. But we see that the Apostle Paul in verse 9 indicates to us, or through the vision that happened, that the Apostle Paul had a moment of fear that was taking place in his. He says, Be not afraid, for I am with thee. Acts 18.9 I think what we find here, perhaps in Paul, at least part of it, I think maybe he had a legitimate reason to fear. But I also think that we find that he had a real uh, case of the blues that was happening here. That can happen to spiritual people. Um, take the case of Elijah, for example. After defeating 350 prophets of Baal on uh, Mount Carmel uh, and, and uh, slaying them and, and many others, uh, a resounding victory the next chapter, we find him off cowering by himself, 
uh, in a state of depression. Uh, we find him here. He also has a that case of the same blues in which he says, I'm the only one left that's faithful to the Lord and all of Israel. And it took the Lord some time to coach him out of that. But I think the Apostle Paul certainly could have had a bit of that. 1 Corinthians 2, 3 suggests to us that he perhaps did have some reason to be afraid. 1 Corinthians 2, 3 I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And so it indicates to us, of course, that there must have been a reason for him to feel this way. Um, and perhaps he had that thought that he ought to move on again. And even though he had initially presented them with the gospel, that he thought, you know, maybe it's time for me to, to move on. You know, the, a couple of young boys came by a guy who was out shoveling his uh, driveway, uh, from the snow from his driveway, and he was halfway done with the shoveling. And they came up and they said, well, we'll shovel the rest of your driveway for you. And, the, and this gentleman looked at him and he says, well, I'm, I've already shoveled half of it. And he says, well, that's, uh, that's why we asked, because uh, we get most of our business from people who are halfway through and they feel like quitting. And I think that might be where we found Paul, that he needed that extra boost. He was halfway through with the job, but he needed that extra boost here. Someone said, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. And uh, in, in, in the discussion of, of staying with the task and seeing it to its completion. Also, this is the, a note that was in the journal of Columbus time and time again. On his voyage, it simply says, today we sail on. It's a difficult task, but sometimes uh, that's, that's the only choice we have, isn't it? To, to, to sail on or to continue on. And that was uh, something that is being told to the apostle here. Now, the word fear not is found 365 times in the Bible. That phrase, fear not, is found 365 times in the Bible, one for every day of the year, <laughs> except for the leap year, of course, which would be this year. But 365 times, uh, it, it, it's as if by uh, the inspiration of the Word, which it is inspired, of course, but just simply by that mathematic, it is there to tell us and give us a fear not for every day of, of the year. We are not the only ones that need to hear that and be comforted by that. Some of the best people of the Bible, some of the great uh, characters of the Bible, some of the great people of faith of the Bible have had, had needs to hear that. Uh, Abraham had to hear it. Um, Isaac had to hear it. Jacob had to hear it. Jehoshaphat had to hear it. Daniel had to hear it. Mary, when it was announced to her, uh, that Jesus was going to be born, Peter, and of course here Paul, and we, we can go back to the Christmas story, of course, that we tell, and, and that was the first word to the shepherds uh, when, you know, the sky broke out with a bunch of people up there and, uh, and the lights going on, and uh, the first thing they, they told them was to fear not. And um, I, I often wondered what went through their minds when, uh, when they saw that and, and thought about that and then just heard the words fear not. As if, uh, to me, as to say, well, 
you know, that, that's supposed to take care of the whole situation just by simply saying, fear not. Uh, I don't know if it would if it worked for me as well as it did for the shep, uh, shepherds that night. A uh, pastor was up all night one night, or all, uh, long one night, and uh, worrying about several problems that there were happening at the church. And, and um, finally, the uh, Lord came to him and, and said, uh, um, and he, he felt the Lord talk to him in, in a special manner and said, Quail, you go to bed and I'll stay up all night. And I forget, I, you know, sometimes we forget who it is that's on vigil with us and uh, that there ought to be uh, a way that we can find comfort in the Word. Let's look at these verses here. They are encouraging words to us about anxiety in our lives and fear in our lives, that it need not immobilize us, that there are promises of God that need to be claimed by us. 1 Peter 5 and verses 6 and 7 first. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety upon him, because he cares for you. Isaiah 43. And uh, the last part of verse 1. 43. The last part of verse 1 says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. Psalm 56 and verse 3. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in thee. But the question comes, you know, as we talk about fears and about Paul's, and we find him in a, a rather unique position in here. Really, when we talk about ourselves, what is it that causes us to fear? What is the thing that stops us cold? You know, it, 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 there are, could be a host of other things, but if we say, for instance, the, um, and suggest to you that you need to go and uh, communicate this gospel to somebody else. We used to call it witnessing, but people shy away from that, but... Let's say you, you, you take a moment to, uh, and the moment or the opportunity comes along that you could say something. Does that stop you cold? A lot of people does because that, they don't want to say the raw, wrong thing. They're afraid that they, they won't be able to finish the discussion that they get started into. They have all sorts of reasons why they won't say the first word. And therefore, you know, it, it doesn't get accomplished because of, of their fear, but uh, you know, what are the things that cause you to stop and to quiver? Uh, and uh, what are the, 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 the things that uh, make you feel almost like you're a coward? Uh, at least uh, depending upon your, the way that you look at these promises of God. Um, you know, we, we think about uh, the, the, what God did with the 120 that were gathered in the, the upper room that day. They were hiding away in that room. And when the Spirit of God came, it changed them dramatically. And they became, of course, tremendous witnesses. And the whole Christian movement, the whole gospel of Christ, the kingdom of God message, all came and was delivered to you and I because they got out of that room and they shared that message. Certainly many of them had, probably had reason to fear because they lost their life. 
along the way in the process of sharing that. But on the other hand, we see that that was not a consideration that they had. Apparently, they felt the, mess, the, the sharing of that message was more important than even life itself. And I think about that sometimes in relationship to that fear that we might have of individually sharing that gospel to somebody else. We might get embarrassed from time to time in, the, in, in that. It could happen. Um, but I, I doubt very many times, and of course it only takes one time for it to happen, but I doubt we have to worry about our life being threatened just because we shared it. We're just be, being embarrassed a little bit by it, if we're not. But of course, that's one of those things in which practice helps. And the more times you get involved in discussions like that, the more comfortable you become, and the better armed that you are in, in the communication of that. 1 John 4, uh, 18. 1 John 4, 18 indicates to us that a perfect love, and this is a, a we're talking about in this particular uh, one, we're talking about a, a um, perfect love that, uh, that comes in with our relationship to God. 1 John 1.18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Now, there is no fear in perfect love. And so if uh, we are in as deep a love relationship with God as sometimes we like to think we are, then that love should take over and should be the force that guides us and helps us to the moments of fear. Also, Hebrews 13.5 Hebrews 13, 5, Let your character be free from the love of money, being uh, content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. In Isaiah 41, 10. Isaiah 41, 10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Now, admittedly, that isn't easy. It's very difficult for people to cast their burden on the Lord. Um, it's one of those intellectual things that we know is, is right. If I gave you the questionnaire to fill that out, you'd fill it out right probably. But it's one of those life practices that, that's very hard for us to do. We like to carry a little bit of that burden around ourselves. Uh, and we, we want to apply for, um, uh, uh, for an elevated sainthood by our ability to carry on, uh, carry some of the burden around ourselves and, and to work it out on our own and, uh, and to feel how proud it is that we have been able to accomplish this without God's help. But 
God invites us. He says, you know, why do you worry, worry yourself and wear yourself down with all that when uh, you, your, your life could be released into freedom and released from the anxiety that you face if you just give that over to me? You know, Paul was uh, as brave as a lion to the core. There was no doubt about it. In most of, most of his experiences of his life, he, he was very brave. But he still needed to be encouraged at, at different points in his life. And he depended upon that encouragement. And that's the reason why he wrote several things about being an encourager. 1 Thessalonians 5. If I think today in, in the body of Christ and all the various gifts that are given to the various members of the body of Christ, I think that this, is, this is one of the most important. We need more of, if we had, a, if we had an 80% rate of this um, over all the other gifts, I think it, it would serve us uh, far. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore encourage one another and build one another just as, you're, as you also are doing. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another. I, I, I think those are such great words because that is not a tendency that we have. And so it reveals to us what nature we are serving if our first response is to tear down, if our first response is to criticize, if our first response uh, is one that uh, we think we need to adjust somebody else's thinking then it tells us that we're serving the wrong nature. The nature of Christ is one that builds up and encourages. Hebrews 3, then, verse 13. Hebrews 3, 13. says, but encourage one another other day after day, as long as it's still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So encourage one another while it is still today. Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, God evidently does not intend for all of us to be rich or powerful or great, but he does intend us all to be friends. Galatians 6.2, bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, there, are, there certainly will be those times in which the thunder rolls and the storm breaks out upon us. And we need to remember that God is our refuge and our strength. He is a very present help in time of trouble. Uh, God sees things before they're, before they're done. He sees people who are converted before they make the decision. We need to be, uh, we need more of the imperial power of imagination and faith that overleaps the obstacles that anticipates the future. 
that sees the angel in the rough uh, block of marble, that sees the man and the boy, that sees the saint in the center. It is this imagination that enables a farmer to plow a field and plant it and then see seeds come up in a harvest that will occur. If that uh, kind of faith should keep us at work at, in the most discouraging circumstances and one of the most unpromising, uh, one of the most promising things that God has provided with us is that he will always be there. And we hope that he, when he, with the part of that always being there, is the way that we allow him to operate through us in our relationship with each other. That we will have a genuine encouragement and building up of each other as our first approach. Then others then, others outside of the body will recognize that. They will desire that as, a, as something that they can have because it's not found very, very many places in this world.